You're listening to Felony Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. The Felony Podcast explores ex-felons that have gone on to launch their own startups. We explore the ups, the downs, the behind-the-bar stories with these founders. Felony Podcast airs every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us to another exclusive edition of the Felony Inc. Podcast. I am your co-host. My name is DJ Dick Hennessy. Join with me. My my special other co-host or host, Mark. Very, very special. Yeah, thank you for joining <laughs> us, Mark. Uh, my pleasure. Yeah, and Compl- we're compliments of the uh, yeah Washington County Jail. <laughs> yeah, love them, appreciate them. Yeah, very 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 nice people there. Yeah. Very uh, able to help me do this. Yeah, so that's why you know, as always, welcome you guys to Felony Podcast, broadcasting live from NetSpace. On the 11th floor of the Majestic Union Bank Tower in scenic downtown Portland, Oregon. Beautiful day in Portland today. Uh, in a society that houses the largest inmate population on earth, anything that can be done to curb the recidivism rate is incredibly valuable. And today's guest is certainly an example of that. Uh, today we have a very uh, established author and uh, extremely talented individual, Todd Brown. <laughs> Todd, how are you doing today? Man, I'm talents. doing well. I'm doing well. I mean, I'm coming up on the ninth year out, and uh, I mean, nowhere where nowhere near where I thought I would be uh, when I was sitting on the inside. So, I mean, I'm thankful every day. I still get up in the middle of the night and walk around my house, just touching things and going, "Holy cow, how'd this happen?" Yeah, pinching so, yourself all the time. Yeah, all that's the time. awesome. So that's a beautiful thing. I, obviously, you've been a guest before on the show. Yes, I have. Um, I was wondering. I, uh, I listened to a little bit of, uh, I think, the first interview. But um, have you ever touched on like your upbringing at all on the show? Or? Not really. Um, I mean, that is a. I I don't use it as an excuse like a lot of people might because I mean we had a. I mean, my house was a war zone. You know, I mean, I had a mom that was getting the snot knocked out of her on a regular basis. Um, I would have gone down on a murder beef when I was 12, but I didn't realize that my parents had, my mother had put her foot down and made her husband unload the shotgun in the closet because he was beating on her. And I actually went upstairs, opened it, turned around, pulled the trigger, and it just went click. I went, damn. And then I got another beaten. Um, and I was, it was point blank, so I wouldn't have missed. Damn. And, and it was an intention. I mean, I wanted him gone. I wanted him gone. Um, At 12? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was tired of coming home from school and seeing my mom with two black eyes. I'm or, sorry about that. You know, busted nose or whatever the case may be. Um, we had one of their roommates was a person they brought from Florida uh, that had been doing time in the Florida system. So this will be a sensitive subject for some people, and it might be a trigger for others. But he basically spent three years sexually terrorizing me and my sisters from age 10 to 10, 12, 10 to 12. Um, it was brutal, but, uh, I ran away at 16 found, I I lived with a TriMet bus driver. She, she was used to seeing me on her bus every morning and I would just basically ride the loop twice until it was time to get off for school. Um, so I had someplace warm to be. And finally she asked me, you know, where I was staying. And I said, wherever 
And so I actually moved in with her family for a while until one of my best friends uh, got the word that I was actually away from home. And uh, so I stayed with him for a bit. But I bounced from, you know, one friend's place to That's another. That's pretty awesome of her to do that. Yeah, it was. And then when I graduated, I went straight into the Navy that summer. And so, you know, it was easy after that. All, all easy after that. I've got zero contact with all but one member of my family now. Um, I have a brother who's back inside. Um, he's at Columbia River, I think, now. Uh, I tried to help him out because we actually met up at EO. Um, hadn't seen him since uh, he was about 12. And now he was in his, you know, coming up on his 30s and on his third, fourth, or fifth time in. But I got to spend about a year with him. And, you know, he was one of the knuckleheads. And so I just pulled him up one day and I said, look, man, if you're going to hang out with me, I'm not going to put up with that shit. It's not going to fly. So he got his stuff together. He actually made it to incentive housing at some point when by the time I'd gotten out and had been out for a little bit, was doing all the right things um, and apparently saying all the right things because we tried to help him. Um, we were, you know, we made sure that he had shoes, took care of him at Christmas, did, you know, did some stuff and was trying to build a relationship. And then he got out and just said, later, thanks, but bye. And three years later, he was back in again and in and out and in and out. And he's back in again. So that's, that's his issue. But my other brother, um, he has nothing to do with any of that stuff. He's got a family and a house and he's doing really well. Um, really proud of him. And we talk a little bit, but I think the reason we don't stay in a lot of contact is because we don't really know each other. I mean, I went into the Navy when he was three, and I stayed gone. So I never came back because I had nothing to say to anybody there. And uh, so we, I mean, we're sort of strangers, but we get a, you know, we send each other a, hey, how's it going on Christmas? And um, congratulate each other if a milestone comes along. But my family now is my wife, my daughter, my sons. And uh, I'm good with it, you know. I don't, uh, I don't wallow in the my childhood turned me into a criminal. No, bad decisions, you know. That's that's what it comes down to is bad decisions, and nobody made me do anything. So that's just the way it is. And now nobody's going to make me do anything stupid because I like it out here too much, right. you know. And that's the thing that because I do a lot of going back in. I go to the guys in Sandy Am, uh, the Business in a Box program that uh, Dan oh, Bielenberg yeah. has going on. I've been a speaker there six or seven times and talked to the guys. And I've actually hooked a couple of them up with um, audio production work with a company out of Ohio called Falcon Sound that was more than happy to hire inmates to do voice work. And I go in and I talk to these guys about their programs and I warn them that, you know, you're going to have to get 99 no's before that one yes comes. And what makes you different from everybody else is being able to take that and not use it as an excuse to circle back around and do something stupid to end back up in, you know, where you don't want to be. Um, the one thing that I told myself every day is I don't ever want to sit in here again. You know, I mean, I, we all had guards that we got along with and ones that we, when you saw them on the unit, you're just like, oh, it's going to be one of those days. I don't want that. I don't want to be around that. I don't want somebody planning my menu for me. I don't want somebody telling me what I'm going to and not going to eat. I don't want to be told when I can go outside or go for a walk. And so back inside is not an option. You know. 
Food's an incredible thing. <laughs> Come on, love, yeah, you, yeah, look at this. You I, can you tell? I'm working on it. That's <laughs> <laughs> a power of motivator. It is actually. You ever, so, heard, you ever heard of a cat food sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> no, and I, I I don't want to investigate that. It's that, not good. that sounds horrible. Yeah, plenty of those in just center for sure. <laughs> oh, that sounds awful. It's it comes in a clump too, so it's like a clump, and you don't really. It's not really spread out, so it's a clump oh, yeah. on some. Dry, stale wheat bread. It's delicious. Oh, that's, that's yeah, lockdown lunch. It's actually like a celery sandwich, actually, because <laughs> like chunks of celery oh, in there. Yeah, more celery than tuna fish on the inside. Yeah, I don't even think it's tuna fish. <laughs> so, uh, what? just out of curiosity, what high school did you graduate from? I graduated from Aloha High School in 1983. Okay, 83. Um, obviously, you're a very established author at this point. Um about 40-something titles out now, yeah. Were you always, back when you were young, were you in, in, like, did you read a lot? Were you interested in reading books, literature? My grandfather taught me to read when I was, like, three or four, yeah. I guess. I was reading before kindergarten. In fact, apparently, the story goes, I came back from my first day of kindergarten and said, this is stupid. All they want to do is teach us colors and numbers, and I already know that. Yeah. Um, reading's always been my thing. Uh, I, I had a day... In sixth grade, I, I wrote the first unofficial sequel to the movie Jaws back in the early 70s. Um, the teacher wrote three sentences up on the board and said, pick one and write a one-page story about it. And mine ended up being six pages typed. I used everybody from our class as a character, killed the people I didn't like, um, you know, they got eaten by the shark, and all that just sort of kept fostering it and then in 79 when I read Stephen's King Stephen King's The Stand I knew for a fact that what I wanted to do was write and I kept picking it up but I was married to people who would say things like you're wasting your time or no one's going to read that and you should be spending time with me instead of sitting there trying to write something yeah. and then I Actually, my third wife, and I'm on number four, um, but we're actually having our 18th anniversary on Saturday. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, and it was, uh, it was one of those things where wife number three found a whole bunch of my stuff in a box and said, why aren't you doing this? And I said, because I've been told not to. And she goes, you're going to be 40 and wonder. And I started again, and then I fell in 98 right as I finished my first real big project Got a letter from an agency in New York that said that because I'd sent out a bunch of possibles and they were like, we would like to talk to you. I got that letter in county. <laughs> sent them a note back saying, not a good time. Uh. Um, but uh, that sentencing led to a divorce. And then I got married to my wife now that that's it. I'm done. That's, and like I said, 18 years. I never had a wife make it past three. So she's, you know, she's put in her time. Um, but she started getting me to start writing again. And then I took a creative writing course at EO and the teacher walks in one day and says, all right, everybody pencils down, stop writing crap. You think I want to read with all this symbolism and all this garbage. This is creative writing. I want you to write something fun. And if it's not fun and I can tell that you did not love what you wrote, I'm going to give you an F. So I went back to my unit sat down and wrote a little short zombie story, turned it in. At the end of class, she's handing out papers, and she goes, could you stay? And that's not something you want to hear when you're inside, because I'm like, oh, the goon squad's going to come. I'm going to the bucket. She did not like that story. I wrote something <laughs> offensive. What did I do? What did I do? They found my pruno. Yeah, you know, and she's like, why aren't you writing more of this? And I was like, 
now remember, this is pre-Walking Dead. That was still just, in fact, it wasn't even a comic book yet. Yeah. It was just getting ready to be one. So, I mean, this wasn't going on. The zombie craze we have now was not in existence. And I said, it's been done. Romero did it. Doesn't really need to be done again. And she, to, to date when this happened, she goes, there's a brand new vampire series called Twilight that is sweeping the nation. You're going to tell me vampires are done? I'm like, well, it's not my thing. She goes, no, but it's still a bestseller. So I sat down and started writing, and I wrote an exercise every day, and it was a daily journal entry from a guy that was going to have the apocalypse kind of happen around him. And then I would send it in one of my letters to my wife. So she would get my letter plus my – what she did is she started compiling it all and putting it up online. Pretty soon it had 10,000 followers. And then there was an offer for publication. Right before it was supposed to go to publication, they sent us a letter saying, we want to change things. Basically, what they wanted is more money and me to get less money. And I said, I wasn't going to publish this anyway. It was a writing exercise. So, no, I'm done. And we pulled it. Christmas in 2009, that was my Christmas present. She compiled it, started uh, MDP, which is our publishing company. She's got two master's degrees. She's the smart one. No. I'm just the idiot that makes stuff up for a living. And... I got called up to D2 courtroom to pick up a book, and I picked it up, and I'm like, that's my book. You know, and the guard's like, yeah, that's why we called you for it. And I flipped it open to the back page, which had my picture and everything, and I said, no, my book. And I don't remember anything from there back to the unit. That was the best Christmas present I've ever gotten. And by the, chills. Yeah, by the time awesome. I got out, I had four books out. Um, they weren't moving much, but I had them out. And then... Amazon changed things up with this thing called KDP, which is the Kindle Direct program. And if you give them exclusivity to your ebook for 90 days, you get five free days. Now, if it's your only book, it's a terrible marketing tool, but I was writing a series. So we argued about it. And this is the first time I argued and was right because she didn't want to do it. And she loves this story because I get to say that I was right. But I said, let's, let's put Zomblog, our throwaway book, not any of the dead books out, and put Zomblog on the KDP thing and then do a giveaway for a weekend. We did. And people had been telling us, yeah, I gave away 400. I gave away 500 books. Now, you, get a, you don't get a penny for those. But if you can get people to read it and then they pick up, pick up book two, you're doing good. And it did 10,000 10, units over the weekend as a giveaway. Right. And all of a sudden, my sales started moving. And then my wife said, you need to quit your job and just write. And we were playing Bill Roulette at the time. So it was like, this bill just came today. That's garbage. This bill's only late. That's garbage. Oh, shut off notice. We'll play that one. I mean, that's where we were financially because with her two master's degrees, when the economy tanked as an accountant specialist in construction, there was no construction going on. So she'd show up for a job interview, and they're like, you're way overqualified with those master's degrees. And when the economy turns around, she's like, okay, when's that? So we're living in an apartment complex that county would park at at night because they knew they'd be there eventually. And, I mean, it was t a terrible neighborhood and just, you know, fighting to get food on the table and everything else like that. And if I sold 10 books that month, it was a good month. And all of a sudden it became 100, then 500, then 1,000, and then a new release was dropping 1,000 units on release day. And it took off. And... I've never looked back. That's awesome. Yeah, it's really impressive. You know, uh, 
The crazy thing is, you were you were talking about how you re rewrit Jaws back in the seventies. Um, when I was, I think it was eighty five, eighty six, um, as a kid in Portland growing up, my dad took me to see Top Gun. I remember it vividly, and uh, I I came home later that night. And my dad had there was a typewriter at the house, and I started writing a sequel to Top Gun because I was so enamored. <laughs> I had never told anyone to see that. It's crazy. That's I was, awesome. It just give me a flashback, but. Uh, I literally sat there, and it probably was just, you know, I think it was like five years old and six years old at the time. So it was probably just a regurgitation of exactly what I saw in the theaters that I was super excited about. But being that, I, I just felt like kind of compelled to be toward, you know, it just it spoke to me, and I, I wrote it, and I was excited about it. And I didn't know, you know, when you're six, you have no idea what's going on in the world. So... At the time when you start developing zombie stories, what was your motivation for that? Because there was nothing, like you said, there was, there was no Walking Dead. There there had been Day of the Dead, Dawn of the Dead, George mm -hmm. Romero things. Uh, I mean, why was that the the yeah. main thing that you just? Yeah, zombies were kind of obscure compared to vampires. Yeah, and, it wasn't. It wasn't Frankenstein. The See, a zombie was like the lesser of the. It was the monsters. non-existent monster. What yeah. what happened was zombies were just when zombies. I was a kid. We had a neighbor that had two daughters, so. He would take me for my birthday, and it was kind of a nice escape to get out of that house. And he would take me to do stuff that he couldn't take his daughters to. And one year, he's like, all right, we're going to go see a movie. What do you want to go see? And I wanted to see this movie called Beyond the Door because it was it starred Haley Mills, looked really scary, was looking real exorcist-like. We went and saw it, and it was horrible. But this was back in double feature days. The second movie was Romero's Dawn of the Dead. So this was 1978, and Dawn of the Dead starts, and when they are raiding that apartment in the opening sequence, and they kick open the door, and they shotgun this one and blow his head off the back wall, and it just, I mean, I was glued to that movie from start to finish. Plus, two rows in front of us, there was a couple that they were older than me at the time because they were like 16 17 they were obviously on a date and the girlfriend hurled into the popcorn if you're 14 that's the coolest thing in the world you know <laughs> so uh, it's like between that instance and what i was seeing on screen and by the time i got home my brain was churning with what happened after that helicopter leaves you know and, and flies off the roof at the end of the movie and i was just so caught up in it um and i kept waiting for the next one, and when when Day of the Dead came out uh, with Bub and and everything, uh, I was in South Carolina and took my wife to go see it, and she hates scary movies, so she spent the whole time with her hands over her eyes. But I was transfixed. It's always been a thing. I got hooked when I was you know in my early teens, and when my friends and I would get together on the weekends, everybody would rent two movies. So I had one friend that was always going to be two Bruce Lee movies every single time. For me, it was always going to be either The Warriors and or Dawn of the Dead or both. The Warriors, that, the gang? Yeah, that, that one was with cool Ajax. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was either going to be one or both of those um, and another horror movie. So we, we saw everything scary back in the day. I mean, I was one of the geeky kids that read Fangoria magazine cover to cover every time it dropped. Um, knew all the... People that were doing effects became a big fan of Tom Savini, which was like the effects guru back in the day. And but I was always hooked on it. And I watched uh, Italian-based zombie films when I could find them. I mean, it was just always it just resonated. I mean, I got in trouble for like 
watching monster like Godzilla and like I was a little young and that was like the Saturday matinee mm -hmm. and Godzilla and, 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 and you know Frankenstein all that. I got in trouble for that because I was rotting my brain I guess oh, yeah. so See, it's like I was like but I love monsters I had a creature from the Black Lagoon I had the yep. models and all that stuff but same it, here I, was just totally, I had the I glow in the dark with the head and the hands of Frankenstein the glow in the dark Frankenstein I mean yeah same and thing because I was a little rebel if I got in trouble that was that was the Made reason. You want more? Was, these monsters were rotting my brain, you yeah. know. So it's it's you know. Oh um, yeah. So oh, yeah. I still I still um I still love monsters. I'm still a big fan of the horror thing. In fact, uh, I'm always scanning Netflix to see what's next and you know to wait for the next thing. I'm still hooked on The Walking Dead. There's another you season know. coming out, I suppose. Yeah, that and um, Fear the Walking Dead. Plus, there's another spinoff. Plus, there's going to be the Rick Grimes movie from what happened with him after he got uh, hella vacked out from and, and better attack. Better Call Saul has another season. <laughs> if anybody's seen that one, yeah, and I did watch Breaking Bad. I never got the Saul character. Oh, Saul's so. the best. I swear <laughs> to God. But I, I just have always been drawn into that whole, and, and it wasn't just the zombie thing. It was all anything that had to do with like the post-apocalyptic sort of scenario. I mean, in the eighties we had the whole, you know, nuclear threat yeah. with us and the Soviets. And so there was a lot of really good post-apocalyptic fiction that was, you know, nuclear attack based. Um, but the zombie thing just always resonated with me. And so when I wrote that story, um, it just, it just turned into something do different. You, do you think our fascination with monsters has to do with any of our psyche or internal, like, you know, um, you know, we all have these fears. It's like facing our fears or, you know, something like that. I think, well, for me, I think it started off sort of similar for you is, I mean, I had to sit with a black and white TV and a blanket thrown over it so that, I, you know, my parents didn't know I was in the living room when they were passed out in their room. <laughs> and I would sit there and watch those movies late at night because I wasn't supposed to. And so it started off as, you know, an act of rebellion. But the whole monster thing just became... I just started really getting hooked on the stories and I'm not a really big fan of like what I call the torture porn stuff that really kicked off with things like Halloween and Friday the 13th. So movies like Saw and stuff like that don't do a lot for me. I like the monster based horror. Um, I don't need to watch a movie to know that there's bad people down the street. <laughs> and that's to me what that shows is it's, it's, it's humanity. Absolutely. On that note, let's take a quick commercial break and be right back. CPA Dudes, where accounting is never boring. Their price is not based on time. Instead, customers decide what to pay them. They don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just get the damn job done. Find them at cpadudes.com slash startup radio. Tell them Dave and Lad sent you, and we'll send you a very special surprise. Seriously, we will. Today's episode of the Felony Inc. podcast is brought to you by Publicize, a deconstructed PR subscription service which generates effective visibility for your business. Publicize handles all communications with the media and any content required to do this, such as press releases, editorial pitches, etc. And they offer a wide range of PR products and abilities out of which you can construct the PR package right for the future of your business. And again, uh, today, if you're just joining us, our guest is Todd Brown, author of Dead, a zombie series. Uh, very successful zombie series, actually. It, uh, in fact, right now, we're, we're sort of riding a wave. We box set the entire tw original 12-book series of The Dead. 
um, everything all from the ugly beginning all the way to the last book, which is called End. So dead end. Um, awesome. And it's been in the top 10 on Audible's horror list since October. Um, it's weird to go to Audible and look at the top horror books, and it's Stephen King, Stephen King, Stephen King, Stephen King, T.W. Brown. Stephen King, Stephen King. <laughs> That's so yeah, cool. It is, because, yeah. I mean, he's Congratulations. the reason I want, Yeah, he was the reason I wanted to write. I mean, when I read The Stand, and that's another post-apocalyptic book. The Stand was epic. Yes, and it will be again when it comes back out. They're, they're going to redo it, and it's... The, the book or list, the movie? The or? cast list has been done, and they're going to do kind of TV like what they did with Under the Dome, so they're not in a rush. And so it looks like they're going to do it right this time. So I'm so, real excited. So it's not like it where they did on TV and they did full like cinematic experience. Yeah, it was now, so now it's TV and then TV, TV again. So, yeah. so maybe you get some movie rights or show rights coming up. The problem with the Dead series doing that is it's too broad in scope. Now, the new Dead series that I just relaunched and we'll get back into again. Sure. I took about a year and a half off from writing. I just... Um, I had a lot of things going on, and then right as I got ready to get started again, I had a series of three heart attacks this summer oh, so that no. tried to tried to end me. Um, it didn't. It's not happening. No, um, I made a vow that you know I was going to do what it took to get myself back, you know, on my feet, and so I'm on my Peloton bike again and doing the exercise instead of spending twelve to fourteen hours in my studio recording so or at my desk yeah and that's just it is being sedentary like that is almost as unhealthy for you as anything else bad you could think of to do and so i'm trying to stay active we actually have two hour sessions and then my wife and i because i hired my wife back in this most recent october she now works for me on the audio production side of a different part of my life that i I'm delving into, but yeah, the dead audiobooks, it's 154 hours and people can use one credit do on you, Audible. Do you do your own audios? I do now. That's... I did. Those were produced by Falcon Sound out in Ohio. That was my first experience uh, with Audible and with an audiobook. And it was because I had run into a guy at a horror convention and he's like, why is your stuff not here? And I'm like, because it's stupid. And he goes, yeah, remember when we said that about ebooks? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, you need to get there. And it did. It may, It's a game changer financially. And it's now becoming a game changer again because it's selling over 2,000 units a month right now. That's, wow. that's a good question, actually, the, the financial thing. So um, did you have a question on that, Dick? No, go ahead, go ahead. I was just wondering, you know, so how much money does a guy like you make writing books? Six figures. Doing, six figures? Mm-hmm. Which would be, I mean, that could be an arbitrary number so we're, we're making sh- over a hundred thousand a year yes we're so, shooting for some squiggly lines for that first number this year but yeah squiggly line? okay yeah that's anything three and above that's what we're shooting for this right year. On. that's all, that's incredible congratulations because so, that's you. you know it's like you know your lifelong dream yes or something that you're passionate about um you just you know you basically went into it blind not expecting anything that's mm-hmm. such a great reward you know and that's um, the thing that i try to tell people about writing because i've been to a lot of conventions and i have people say well how do i get there and I said, by not trying. Because the moment you are trying and that that, that is your sole focus, you're, you're just... It takes the direction off, off, off yeah. the uh, And you're going to get frustrated because there is a period of time. I mean, your books have to... They have to get... You have to get a lucky break for one as an indie. Because I'm not under anybody's publishing umbrella except my wife and I. So Is it better to hold your own rights to all that? It is to me, um, because I don't have somebody telling me, no, you can't do that. Cause what if Penguin Books came along and offered you a big contract? 
at this point, I'd say yes, because because that's a huge. I can do that. I can do that now, but it would have to be something different than the dead books. I would not let anybody touch the dead books. And the thing about that is, I'm famous for. I, I would get letters from fans after a book would come out. How could you kill this person? <laughs> Because it was his time. You know, I none of my characters are superheroes. They're all living in a shade of gray. In the world that I wrote, pretty much all the, quote, good guys, basically your first responders, doctors, and everything else like that, they die in the first they wave. They got to go. They're, done, they're dead in the first wave because they're responding to things that they don't know what's happening. So they're not around anymore. So what's left? The normal people and the people that were hiding under a rock. And those are the ones you need to be wary of. The ones hiding under a rock. Um, they're scary and they're bad. Um, I mean, I've gotten hate mail and death threats for characters I, that I've ever I remember been. watching my son's mother um, just like watch The Walking Dead and just crying when someone got killed. Like it was just the most tragic thing or, you know, I was just, I'm like, <laughs> but yeah. Um, but that's, that's the mark of a good storyteller is right. if I can invest you to the point where you feel real emotion over a scene. And when I get an email from somebody that says, you made me laugh or you made me cry, that's the best compliment I can get because they feel enough about what they're reading to to be absorbed by the story and to feel real emotion. It's not just, and, and I say it all the time, my fans know my stories better than I do. I mean, they'll send me a, they'll send me emails and they're like, I'm not really too sure about where this guy went because this just doesn't seem in character for him. I'm like, I go back and look and I go, eh, maybe you're right. But they do. They know your stuff better than you. They'll send me a thing about some line and quote some line out of my book that I don't remember You're writing. supposed to know that. I don't remember writing. I wrote thousands of lines. Right. <laughs> well, when they do that, that, you've done your job. Yeah. And it's amazing. It's wonderful. I have, um, I have one amazing story of a fan that is no longer with us. Uh, she sent me a, an email out of the blue one day and said, when your books come out, she was on hospice. And she said, when your books come out, I'm, I don't have to take morphine. I can read your book. That's uh, incredible. And it's like, what do you, uh, thank you is really weak, <laughs> you know? Right. So I, I wrote her back and said, look, I really don't know how to respond to this because thank you is so inadequate, but we stayed in touch. And when my last book came out, she was right on the edge. And I even told her, I said, look, it's not due to hit for two weeks, but I'll send it to you now. And she goes... No, I'm waiting for everybody else. I want to get it with everyone else. I've pre-ordered it. And I'm like, okay. So it came out, and three days later, her son emailed me to thank me. And I actually had dedicated the previous book to her, um, but her son emailed me and said, thank you so much for you know, making my mom's life better with your books. And I'm like, you don't ever expect that, you know, and, and it's hard to know how to respond to it because somebody, the, your book meant that much to somebody else. And I, I still to this day have no idea how to respond to that because I've had other people since then that will send me an email saying that it's taken them through this or that this character inspired them for that or whatever. And I'm like, wow, really? Okay. And and I, I'm always thankful and I always respond, but it always feels inadequate, you know, because they're saying something so deep and so personal. And it's just, to me, it was just words on paper that came out of my brain. Yeah. So. 
So one of the things, uh, I don't know if I've really talked about this much, but um, when I was incarcerated, I would spend a lot of my time reading books by Dean Koontz and Stephen King. And I was kind of just curious as to what, I took writing courses in college, I graduated, mm-hmm. graduated from U of O, but I was curious what structure, what um, combination of words could be terrifying. You know, that was kind of my thing, is trying to figure out what, like the formula of putting sentences together where it's just words on paper, but you could read it and it could have a really visceral effect on you. Um, when you were, uh, you did 13 years, correct? Mm-hmm. 13 years, uh, obviously you probably read a lot of horror books as well. Mm-hmm. Did you have a favorite author, first of all? and then um, King's always been my favorite, but yeah. I actually read from multiple genres just because I wanted to get an idea of different types of structure. Uh, I got really big into an author named Kim Harrison. She writes this sort of paranormal fantasy thing, and all of her titles are plays off of Clint Eastwood movies. Like well, The first one is called Dead Witch Walking. And it just... I did it to try and I wanted to see how she laid out dialogue and and how she could pull me into a thing. I even read some of those really cheesy Harlequin romances just because I wanted an exposure to everything. And I read a lot of uh, historical fiction, um, the whole North and South series by John Jakes. Um, So I, I read everything. And the problem is, is, I mean, there's only so much horror. So, you know, and back then, especially, I mean, before the indie rise, finding quality horror books, I mean, there just wasn't any, you know, it was just hard to find. And I can only read The Exorcist over and over so many times. So I read a lot of other things. And for me also, King sort of shifted into a gear that I didn't follow after it. I mean, the books he wrote afterwards just weren't really doing it for me. So I kind of fell off of his train still think that his early books are the greatest yes they are genre absolutely yeah before the before um the tower yeah and even that i actually never read it i had a friend who was hooked on it he was i mean he loved that series but i just never got into it it just didn't i didn't either didn't do it for me and that's the other thing is in this market i get you know i get critics that give me one star reviews sorry give me one star reviews and tell me that i should never put pen to paper that's somebody's opinion if you take that stuff personal if you take a critic personally you're in the wrong line of work you know you have to be able to handle negative. our haters make us famous they, they can yeah. you know i can if get people aren't hating on you're doing something wrong yeah because people are so jealous and they're so finger pointy and they're so and if everybody's worried about what you're doing then they should worry about themselves well and but. if everybody's liking your stuff then it's only your friends <laughs> reading your stuff and they're just saying what you think what they think you want to hear you know, the first time I read a review on Amazon from somebody I didn't know was one of my best days. You know, because I was like, I don't know this person, and they like my book. That was amazing. Because you know, all your friends are gonna say, "That's great." Don't tell me that. Just tell me what you think about it. Oh, I love it. That's not helping. <laughs> so, so in a way, uh, when you first started writing zombie stories, uh, you kind of got in on the ground floor in terms of like a stock market approach. Uh, the zombie stock was relatively minimal at the time, mm-hmm. and then since then you've seen it grow. I mean, exponentially isn't even the right word to describe it. It's been huge. Meteoric. <laughs> yeah, meteoric is a perfect word. Um, when that happened, were you like, I knew it the whole time, or completely? No. I was floored. I really was floored. And it's funny because when Zomblog, when we did that on KDP and did the weekend and it did 10,000 units, 
and I, and my wife went, wow, you were right. And I was like, yay, I heard my wife say I was right. So that was awesome. I decided, we decided that we would try the same thing now with book one of the Dead series and try to get them, because that's the series I wanted to be known for, not Zomblog. Zomblog was a writing exercise that just got published. Um, so when Dead came out, it, now remember, all my friends had been excited about three, four, and 500 units over a five-day period, and I got the 10,000 over that weekend. So we did Dead, and I've got all these expectations, because to me, that's my, that's my book. That's 5,000 units. And I'm like... It only did 5,000. And my wife was like, get out. Just go to your room. Get away from me right now. You wanted 500 with Zomblog. And I'm like, yeah, but Zomblog did 10,000 and stupid. I want dead to do 10. And she goes, oh my God, leave the room, please. You know, I mean, so she's the one that always keeps me grounded, you know, because my expectations may not. But what's funny is that dead eventually did turn into the franchise. Um, It inspired my very first tattoo because I'd never had ink. Six years in the Navy, 13 years in prison, not a dot of ink on my body. And I got my first one, you know. And what being a KISS fan, because it's normally a bald deadhead on top of the logo, I actually had him do Ace Freely because I'm a huge KISS fan. And in case I was never going to get another tattoo, but... I want to do a tattoo on you. I want to do a zombie. You know, so now I've got... Oh, I got a right. couple. Right. I've got a couple. Very impressive. Who did that? that Dragon from Star Tattoo in Milwaukee. He's oh. my guy. He's done every ink do- I that's on at. me. I used to live up the street from that. Yeah, I did, everything that I've got on me has done, been done by him. And shout out to well, Dragon. It's time to cheat on him. <laughs> <laughs> He's... Uh, he... Um, when I lost my border collie this... Last year, he he put her on my forearm, so she's always with me. Nice. Uh, tell him I said, hey, what's up? I will. I'm Maybe. going to see him soon because he's going to do a Spartan tattoo and a, another one for my uh, to commemorate somebody else that's real important in my life. So that's he's, great. He's he's been my guy though. So uh, I mean, now everything's established. You've been doing it well. You're on. I feel like you picked the right horse in a way. Yeah. Obviously, um, but. I feel like the zombie wave isn't dying down anytime soon. We are, you know, we just had a sequel to Zombieland, which was down. hilarious. Um, and I mean, there's, I was just at Universal Studios last year. They're still doing the zombie, The Walking Dead. Zombies are here to stay. They are, in my opinion. Um, are you are you surprised at that at all, or do you have? You know, I part of me for a while I was. I just I kept waiting for the dream to be over. I mean, like I said, I still get up and walk around my house. I mean, I bought a really nice house out in the woods, and I get to walk around and and I've got my two Newfoundlands, and you know I've got a home gym that I built in my garage, and these are all things that you don't imagine having when you're sitting in a eight by thirteen, and your Sally's sitting on the toilet. So those those are not dreams you have yeah, at that point. You're hoping you get a job at a staffing agency. Yeah, uh, you know, you're hoping they got work that day. Something, you know. And so it took me someplace that I never expected to be. It's been far more successful than I had ever imagined. Um, but now that it's here, I think what it needed was a modern push, because if you look at the original Dawn of the Dead, um, you know, Savini was a groundbreaker for effects. In 76, 77, 78. But when Zack Snyder redid it, 
the problem that you had was he used the Dawn of the Dead title, and so you got pushback from original Romero fans who wanted the slow zombies, and of course you had sprinters in Snyder's book, um, which are to me that's if they sprint, if zombies sprint, it's over for all of us. Because was that I'm like a, the World War Z? It, oh, we don't. We that is this book that shall not be mentioned. I, you know what? I liked it. It was just it, it was the it was, book is amazing. It was, the book is amazing. You were right. Um, I didn't read the book. I saw the movie, and I thought you know it's a different twist. So you know something a little different. He but. took like three pages of the book to make that movie. Okay. That's the book was so intense. It's Max Brooks. I mean, related to Mel Brooks. I mean, he is actually who started the Vanguard because he got on the New York Times bestseller list and was there for a long time. And then he was in the Hollywood trades all the time because there was all this fighting over who was going to do it. And then Brad Pitt took it and then fired the writers and redid everything and everything. And so all of us who had read the book, we were eager. I mean, I was, I was stoked. And I sat there through that movie just, no. No, 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 no. <laughs> this is wrong, you know? And it's funny because, you know, when Kirkman got signed, he even said, if this turns into another Walking Dead, I'm sorry. I mean, another World War Z, I'm sorry. But it didn't. It took off and, and still, you know, is generating you're AMC pretty, money. You're pretty serious about this. I am. Look at his face is red. <laughs> He's got mad about this. He's like, your whole face yeah, just turned so, red. I'm sorry I even brought this no, up. No, it's okay. <laughs> but see, that's, that's the problem when <clears throat> Hollywood gets a hold of something that is too big in scope, which is why my stuff's never going to see a screen, ever. Yeah. Um, it's, there's just too much going what on. The, what if there's the right amount of money? Oh, I would sell it in a heartbeat. I'm not stupid. I, I've okay. got no problem okay. with that. I just don't expect it to be able to live up to what's on paper because of all they could do. Like we always in anything there is, the book is always better. Yeah, um, the, than anything. There's so much good in that book, though. If you if you've seen the movie and it turns you off, read the book or listen to the audio book, and it will it will. It'll light the flames. I mean, it's such a well-written piece that it was disappointing. You know, it was kind of like the first time they put it on television, which we had talked to earlier. Yeah. I love Tim Curry. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I mean, Rocky Horror Picture Show to the day I die. But that movie was atrocious. <laughs> you like you liked the remake better? I loved it. Because Stephen King even made fun of himself at the start of two because they kept making fun of the writer talking about how he would always butcher his endings and King got a lot of criticism for that, for the ending of the actual book, It. And so for those of us who were huge fans of his, we got the joke, you know, and he was busting his own balls, and which we thought was was great. So it, that's, that's funny, but uh, <laughs> so obviously I think you would consider yourself a zombie expert. I think I'd do all right as long as I don't sprint. <laughs> I have a plan at home. So just, I don't expect it, but I have a plan. Yeah. Just out of curiosity, what about the zombie genre is it that's so intrinsically fascinating? What is it that just reaches out to the core people to where we just can't get enough of the zombie stuff? It's a life reset. You can completely remake yourself because everything's going to go away. Whatever is behind you will officially vanish because, you know, infrastructure is gone. So you can remake yourself however you want. If you want that change, you can now be the good guy. And that thing that's been dragging you down and been in your shadow forever about what an ass you were, um, you have a chance now to reset that button if it's inside you. you know? So for me, it's a giant reset. Um, I think a lot of people, the reason they get into it is because what they're seeing is they're seeing how people cope in a worst-case scenario. 
And that's what I try to write. I mean, you can only write a scene with somebody getting ripped open so many times and people are going to get bored with it. What I try to write is about the people and what's going on with them. Um, there were times where I would hear Jeff Goldblum's voice in my head from Jurassic Park where the opening sequence where they're driving through and he goes, eventually you'll have dinosaurs in your dinosaur park. I would hear his voice saying, uh, eventually you are going to have uh, zombies again, right? And I'd be like, oh, yeah, I should probably, you know, I hadn't used the Z word in 80 pages, you know, so I would have to bring them back in for something um, because it was more about the people. And how people they want to would... connect with a character. Exactly. They want to relate to them, and, and that's what brings them into enjoying the zombie. Yes. Good is, or bad. Is the putting themselves in their shoes or their situations. Yeah. I want somebody you can like, and I want someone you can hate. And I wrote And both. someone you're not sure about what's going on. Which are always fun. Yes. Now, I know uh, we all probably are familiar with uh, Wes Craven, Serpent in the Rainbow. Um what is the specific origin of zombies? I mean, we can pick uh, there's zombie movies, the tale of zombies. Obviously, we have an origin story for the Wolfman, Dracula, and Frankenstein. But A lot of it comes from Haiti and from the taboo thing, and there's a lot of speculation that was brought up in Serpent of the Rainbow that they were using tetrodotoxin, which is from the puffer fish, and basically you would go into a death-like coma where they couldn't tell you were alive and then when you would come back out when they would pull you out you were just that's it you were a vegetable and you just did what you were told and you were it was more of an automaton not the flesh-eating type um, in fact when George Romero did Night of the Living Dead it was originally titled ghouls there was nothing about zombies when he originally set up Night of the Living Dead it became zombies later um, <laughs> but zombies actually were just mindless, you know, using the word again, automatons who worked sugarcane fields and that sort of thing. Wanted to eat brains. <laughs> I hate What's that. the thing about the brains? That's, Why is the brain so delicious? That came from a spinoff, and that was um, Return of the Living Dead. Uh, it's actually done by one of Romero's co-writers from the original Night, Day, and Dawn. And this is where you had that one zombie, and they were biting people on the head, and it come out, and the one zombie says brains, and it started. But to me, then brains. they would not have replicated more zombies, because that's the, also the kill spot. So why would they eat the one thing that would allow them to re? Maybe know, there's replicate. more nutrients in the brain that <laughs> so, gets the zombie. But yeah, it was from an actual sort of a comedic offshoot called Return of the Living Dead. That's a very legitimate point. <laughs> <laughs> so that would be nothing worse than have somebody a zombie just like gnawing at your head. Yeah, I, know, I, I never, I never thought like about half that. alive, and it's yeah. I don't it's know. Just, it's totally counterproductive. Yeah. <laughs> counterproductive. Yeah. yeah, like eat the fingers or something. The but, brain, though, you can't replicate. Right. Yeah, goes against all. Yeah. Zombie. Yeah. How are you going to have more if the one thing species. that keeps them moving is gone yeah, now? Exactly. So I mean, obviously, you're extremely established and very successful author. Uh, what do you have in store for the future? Do you have any big plans? Anything you're working on right now that we should know about? I do. I took a time. I took. I took a break. Uh, I just needed to. There was a lot going on, and you know, I just had to had to stop. But I have rebooted the Dead franchise, starting from a day one, and I'm centering it around a single character now. I'm not doing a global thing, which is what I wanted Dead to be. I wanted you to see how big in scope it was. So I had characters all over the world, sort of 
a ripoff of The Stand. Um, that was where that inspiration came. But this new one, and it starts here in Portland. Oh, yes. I was just going to ask you that. Yes. And yes. it's called Onset, and it starts with the guy that lives out in Southeast and his wife, and then he ends up at, uh, you know, Kaiser Hospital, and all hell breaks loose. Yeah. And That's right incredible. now, he's currently in camp out at McIver Park out in Clackamas. That's oh. where he left off in book four. Nice. Oh, so, Park. And I've used all my friends that are in tribute bands have begged to have characters named after them. So a lot of the characters' names come from these friends of mine. But uh, book five is titled Road Trip, and it's actually going to be the start of the journey of the main core group from the New Dead series heading to Las Vegas, where they're going to meet the supervillain that is in that book. Oh, supervillain. Yes. Is his name, by any chance, DJ Dick? <laughs> no. I, can see a, I can see a character named Dick. Like, he, he, being a real dick. He's uh, I'm a character. <laughs> <laughs> so they're actually road tripping because there's a broadcast coming out of Vegas, so they're trying to track it down. Um, and I'm ready almost to get back behind the wheel. Like I said, I just I needed a break. I needed to let my head clear, and there was a lot of negativity that was just distracting me. Dude, a little weird break. You'd be amazed at the fire it lights under your ass. Exactly. Like, I'm chomping at the bit to get back to I it. just took a little tiny mini break, and I just feel so uh, energized and recharged. It's like it's a little time just to clear your thoughts. Yes. Todd, that's great. Uh, just one last quick question before yes. we uh, wrap up the show. Uh, if you were going to write about anything other than zombies, any kind of other genre, anything like that, what do you think you would— Lean towards. I love historical Gay fiction. <laughs> yeah. I love historical fiction. Actually, my start as a writer was about a pair of modern-day DEA agents that get thrown back in time to the start of the Civil War in Charleston, South Carolina, and one of them's black, so a bad place for him to be. Um, and it is uh, – it was a love of mine. I really wanted – it's not nearly as successful. That's actually the book that I got the letter from the agency. They wanted to represent it. Um, the book's out there. It's called Dakota. It's But you have to actually go Dakota by Todd Brown because otherwise you won't find it. It gets buried under all the other Dakotas on Audible or on uh, the regular stuff. But historical fiction, specifically in the Civil War era. I mean, that's one of my favorite genres is stuff that can transport you to a different time period with some historical accuracy. God, time just flies. It's the fastest hour on podcasts, swear <laughs> to God. Yeah, we got to thank our guest today, Todd Brown, author of uh, The Dead, or author of Dead, a zombie series, established author. Thank you so much for coming out today. Pleasure. Appreciate that. And also, don't forget, every Friday morning, 10 a.m., Ned Space, Felony Inc. podcast. Tune in, and I'll see don't you guys next time. Support for today's episode comes from our friends at Ruby Receptionists. At Ruby, they've mastered the art of turning rings into relationships. Their team of remote receptionists answer all your calls live as if they're right there in your office. And with Ruby's mobile app, you can easily control how they screen, transfer, and take your messages. Together, you and Ruby transform your phone into the sales engine it was meant to be. Visit callruby.com slash startup radio to sign up, or better yet, call them at 833-861-8100 and use promo code STARTUPRUBY. Tell them Felony Inc. sent you and get $150 credit. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen. Learn. Launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.